Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, thank you. Good evening. Uh, it's good, good to be together. Um, if we haven't had the joy of meeting, my name's Hamish. I'm on team here at Gateway City. And um, just before I start, I want to just mention as well that uh, dinner tonight, um, as Hannah mentioned, will be at the back. Um, it will be $7, um, and we've got some fantastic Mexican um, food that we'll be enjoying tonight. So um, hang around at the end, and uh, all the money that we raise will go towards Janine, who we heard about in our um, Flavors of Beyond. So we'd love to have dinner with you after the service. We'd love you to hang around. Um, We are continuing in our Magnify Multiply series, and a couple of weeks ago, Andrew shared on multiplying the ministry of Jesus, and tonight we're going to be talking about multiplying maturity in Jesus. And uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at, um, as it's described in Acts 2, um, a beautiful Christ-spawned maturity that bubbles out of the early church. And what we'll find is that it was an inward transformation, a change in these people's hearts and minds that led to an outward transformation, a change, radical change in the way that they lived their lives. Um, Inward change leading to outward change. I suspect that this concept is not new to you. Actually, it's in the world all around us. Uh, Let me just give you uh, two examples. I wonder, has uh, anyone um, baked bread before but forgotten to use uh, yeast or starter? Um, I don't bake. Um, That is a categorical fact, and my wife will attest to that. Uh, But the only time that I tried to bake sourdough bread um, because I forgot to use yeast or starter, um, rather than uh, producing a beautiful, fluffy, white loaf of bread, Uh, what actually emerged probably more accurately constituted a classical Indian naan bread. It was flat. Um, And so, uh, when you add yeast to the inside of dough, we know that it changes the outward characteristics of the bread. It rises, it expands. Let me give you another example. Um, Perhaps uh, for some of the the younger people in the room, you may still uh, be familiar with the effects of hormones on our bodies. Uh, When a person enters their early teens and begins puberty, a change in the inner chemical balance of a person leads to some pretty hairy outward changes. Excuse the pun. Unfortunately, I I never actually managed to grow um, proper facial hair. I can only manage this moustache, but that's okay. Take what we can. But we're talking about inner change leading to outward change. Um, Enough biology from me. Let's read the passage together. Just a couple more pieces of context for you. Um, Directly preceding the passage that we're reading, um, the apostles, that is the people who followed uh, Jesus during his ministry, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the apostle Peter um, has just shared with a group of uh, a Jewish crowd um, gathered in Jerusalem the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we pick up the story with the response of the crowd to what Peter has said. Um, So we're going to read Acts 2, verses uh, 
46, uh, sorry, 36 to 47. If you've got your hardballs, invite you to open them up and follow along. Acts 2, uh, 36 to 47. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen behind me. Let's read together. Uh, this is Peter speaking. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord um, will call. With many other words, uh, he warned them and uh, he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's the inward transformation. Let's look at the outward transformation now. Um, it says in verse 42, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number uh, daily those who were being saved. Um, I wonder if you can start to see some traces here of inward transformation leading to outward transformation. We're actually going to focus tonight on the outward transformation that um, emerges within the early church. But first a word on the inward transformation. Let's look at uh, verses 36 to 41. Uh, a few years ago, uh, when I was uh, dating my now wife, Carly, we weren't married at the time, we were, I suppose, girlfriend and boyfriend, um, Carly's father uh, bought her a barbecue. How good, free access to a barbecue. And the first time that we used this barbecue, we invited a whole lot of friends over to enjoy it with us. Um, of course, I went down and bought a gas bottle and um, went to connect, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, the nozzle on the gas bottle to the screw on the barbecue. And I tried to connect them. I turned and turned and turned, but they weren't connecting. Um, I thought to myself, righty tidy, lefty loosey, and I kept turning, but they weren't connecting. This was a problem. Carly and I weren't stable enough in our relationship at this point to endure this kind of embarrassment. And then thankfully, one of my male friends came over to me and said, uh, Hamish, looks like you're having some trouble. On this kind of barbecue, you have to turn the nozzle the other way. And uh, sure enough, I began to turn the nozzle the other way, and before long, we were cooking with gas. Relationship and marriage saved. It was a... <laughs> Praise the Lord. It was a simple but crucial change in direction. That was the key. Uh, the word that Peter uses uh, in this passage for repent in the original Greek means metanoia, and it refers to a change in direction. Peter is saying to this crowd, 
you have been screwing the metaphorical nozzle of your lives in the wrong direction. And um, what is his invitation to the crowd as he declares that Jesus is saviour? He invites them to turn around from the way that they were going, the way that they were living, and begin in a new trajectory. A a trajectory that is not away from Jesus, but towards Jesus. He's inviting them to allow God to reshape their hearts and minds. Tom Wright says that you need to allow Jesus to grasp a hold of you, to save you from the consequences of the way you were going, and to give you new energy by the Holy Spirit to go the right way instead. Uh, So this was the inward change that occurred for this group of 3,000 believers. Um, They had allowed God to reorientate their lives towards him. But what about the outward change? Let's look at verses 42 to 47. Uh, We've discussed yeast, we've discussed puberty. I have one more biological uh, metaphor to throw at you, and that is fruit. I'm sure that you know if a plant is established in good soil, in the right conditions, and continues in those conditions, it will eventually bear fruit. Uh, Fruit is a sign of the health of a plant. It's a sign that a plant is maturing. And as this early church uh, begins in and continues on a trajectory towards God, I would say that there are two fruit that we see um, particularly emerge in the passages that follow. Um, That is generosity and unity. Generosity and unity. And there's a clue to these two fruit in the word common, right in the middle of the passage in verse 44. The original Greek for the word common refers to what is shared between people. And there's a sense in these verses that there is a sharing of material uh, or goods, generosity, and there's a sharing of relationship, uh, unity. Um, And just as an aside, it's interesting to note that fruit is also inherently tied to the reproduction and multiplication of a plant. Did you know that uh, fruit is the ovary of a tree, um, which contains within it the seed? Sorry if I've ruined eating fruit for you. (laughs) But it's interesting to note that as this church begins to bear fruit, um, there is also incredible growth and multiplication that begins to occur. It says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, but let's unpack those fruit, generosity and unity. First, generosity. Um, verses 44 and 45 say that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions um, to give to anyone who had need. The early church was a generous church. Uh, What people had to give, whether it be time or finances or a room to sleep in or food, etc., they gave to meet need. And nor was the giving just to people within the church. Uh, It says that they gave to anybody who had need. Um, There's no uh, fixed subject to the action. Um, Actually, their giving was to people within the church community and people outside the church community, people in their workplaces, their universities, people on the streets, people in prisons, um, etc. The list goes on. 
Um, I do need to make uh, one acknowledgement uh, at this point. Um, perhaps you are like me, and when you read these verses, um, what appears is what seems to be a straight description of communism or socialism. It does say all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. But can I assure you that what is unfolding here is absolutely distinct from uh, any form of communism or socialism. Communism suggests that um, contribution is compulsory. In a communist uh, society, uh, property and production is entirely uh, state-owned. And the problem with communism is that when I own nothing and the people own everything, my humanity is uh, degraded. Why? Because in the beginning, uh, in the story of Genesis, it says that God gave people free will. Um, and he put them in charge of the Garden of Eden to um, steward and rule over the earth. Uh, and so there is um, a sense in which um, we were made to have responsibility. And the limitation of communism is that it diminishes the freedom that exists in uh, responsibility. Note that a couple of verses later it says that they broke bread in their homes. Um, property was still privately owned. And so they were invited to give not because they had to, but because they wanted to. Um, they were invited to take responsibility themselves for wisely discerning radical generosity. And that actually demands far more of a person than the passivity of communism. See, cap sorry, this is a very political exposition. Capitalism says, um, what belongs to you is mine. Communism says, what is mine is yours. Christianity says... What is mine is God's. And in my giving, I am ultimately accountable to God, who is radically generous to us and invites us to freely and creatively exercise generosity to others. Uh, can I prod your imagination with a couple of historical examples of radical generosity in the church? In the plague of Cyprian in the Roman Empire, in the mid-200s AD, there were about 5,000 or north of 5,000 people dying a day in the, the city centres. Uh, when most people fled to the country to escape the, the perils of sickness, um, it was Christians who stayed behind and cared for the sick at a great personal risk to their own health. Uh, Dionysius of Alexandria wrote that... Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing of themselves and only thinking of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their needs. They were infected by others with the disease, drawing it upon themselves, and many, in nursing and curing others, even transferred their death to themselves um, and died in their stead. Actually, historians... Um, credit the rapid expansion of Christianity in the Greco-Roman world during this time as having been largely due to the generosity of Christians towards the sick uh, during plagues. Um, a couple of hundred years later or so, uh, the church in Rome continued to grow to the point where it was instated as the official religion by Constantine. 
Um, and there was elected a Roman emperor named Julianus, um, who was actually anti-Christian. And because he didn't like Christianity, he wanted to uh, reinvigorate and reinstate pagan worship uh, and pagan temples. Um, what did he try? Um, Julianus tried demanding that pagan priests give to the poor. How ironic. In trying to overcome the church, he asked pagan priests to do the very thing that had become instilled in the culture of the church. Um, it's nonsensical, isn't it? These are pagan priests who were sacrificing children um, that didn't have a home, that didn't belong anywhere. Um, yet, in Julianus's mind, so tethered together was um, generosity with life and flourishing that this was his uh, rather ridiculous idea. Needless to say, it didn't work. But the early church was a generous church. That's generosity. Number two, unity. Uh, three times in the passage, it says that the church continued um, to meet together. They met in the temple. They met in their homes. They broke bread. They were deeply relational with each other. Uh, American journalist Philip Yancey uh, shares of a time when a friend invited him along to um, a church that has no denominational headquarters, no paid staff, but manages to attract millions of attendees every week. He was invited by his friend to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I wonder, did you know that Alcoholics Anonymous uh, was founded by Christians and established on Christian ideas of community? Uh, Yancey says that he entered the room with acrid clouds of cigarette smoke hanging like tear gas in the air, stinging his eyes. Um, but before long, his disposition settled as the meeting was marked by compassionate listening, um, warm responses and many hugs. Each person gave a personal progress report of his or her battle with addiction. He says, we laughed a lot, we cried a lot, and mostly, members seemed to enjoy being with other people who saw through their facade. Um, when Yancey asked his friend to share what he thought that one distinctive feature of the group's power was, he responded, dependence. I wonder, did you know that in the New Testament, the word Christian is only used three times to describe followers of Jesus? There are two words that are used far more frequently. Uh, one is in the original Greek, mephetes, which means um, an apprentice or disciple of Jesus, used um, upwards of 250 times. The other is um, adelphoi, which means brethren, or my brother, or my sister, used around 350 times. When Jesus was told that his mother and his brothers were looking for him, uh, he said, who is my brother? Who is my mother? And then he pointed to his disciples and he said, here is my mother, here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my family. The Christian faith proposes a radical unity. Uh, today, at least uh, in the West... When we think of church buildings, I think we probably mostly think of some kind of amphitheatre, uh, whether it be an old church building with steeples and stained glass windows uh, or a, a more modern amphitheatre. 
it's a stage with chairs facing the stage. Uh, John Mark Homer, uh, to quote John Mark Homer, he says that the original architecture of the early church, just out of necessity, was a table in a house. Um, and actually, I think the possibilities of eating together should not be underestimated. Did you know that there has been some research emerging uh, that children or families who regularly eat together, as opposed to not eating together, are 40% likely, less likely to be obese, uh, as well as at risk for teenage pregnancy, drug and alcohol abuse, depression and anxiety. I think there is something intrinsic and essential to our humanity about being gathered together around a table, enjoying conversation. Um, it's a wonderful builder of community. And I think the early church got this. They broke bread, they ate. Great news for food lovers in the room. So unity. The church together in the same place often, they broke bread, they were open and honest, they depended on each other. And friends, there are your two fruit. These are the two characteristics that seem to emerge in this early church. And I wonder if at this point, the question arises for you that arose for me. And that is, why are these the fruit that seem to emerge from the early church? Um, especially when they are so radically countercultural. I think the answer to that question lies in um, that word that we discussed earlier for common, um, koinonia, uh, which refers to what is shared between people. And that word, koinonia, um, actually has a second meaning that Greek listeners in this day would have identified with. And that is that koinonia is not just what is shared between people, but it's also what is shared between people and God. And that is that as we share in relationship with each other, we also are invited to share um, in the, the life of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And perhaps it's no surprise to, that we discover that um, the Holy Spirit, the relationship shared amongst the Holy Spirit is perfect generosity and perfect unity. Um, the Holy Spirit is three persons who are distinct, but because of the radicalness of their sharing with each other um, and unity with each other, they are also one in essence. Three in one, uh, one in three. And so to answer the question, I think the reason that these are the fruit that emerge within the church is that as they start to share in the life of God, the character of their God starts to emerge within them. And at this point, I think I need to extend, um, also extend, a warning to you. Uh, and that is that if you like the fruit that begin to emerge in the early church, but try to produce them without first repenting, that is reorientating your life towards God, um, what you will ultimately experience is not fulfillment, but frustration. Um, trying to manufacture real and lasting generosity and unity on your own terms, by your own means, um, is actually an impossible task. Jesus was adamant that you cannot both bear fruit and remain in control of your life. 
He said in John 15, Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, is what he says. Because in a worldview that chooses to reject God or reject the notion that there is a God, which is precisely the secular worldview that we exist within in the West, um, the fruit that emerge are not generosity and unity. Actually, when there's no God, um, people um, have no inherent value or worth, um, but are merely an accident. Uh, death is the ultimate uh, defining feature of our life, from the dust we emerge to the dust we return. And so uh, dominance, reproduction, um, and survival, and consumption, that is trying to glean what transient pleasure we can while we can, are the kinds of fruit that emerge from a secular worldview that rejects the notion of God. And in this kind of worldview, there is only space for transactional relationships. What is a transactional relationship? A transactional relationship is a relationship in which I only give to you if you can give to me in equal or greater measure. Uh, or I will only engage with you if you can aid my survival or feed my pleasure center. I won't engage with you if it costs me something or if it's inconvenient or if there's no inherent value to me. Uh, transactional relationships cannot sustain generosity and unity. In fact, they are virtually opposites. But can I tell you that a religious or moral uh, worldview is actually no better? It's not enough to just acknowledge God's existence. Uh, trying to do the right thing, to earn God's favor or approval or the approval of others, um, does not lead to generosity and unity, but to self-righteousness. Uh, this was the problem that the Pharisees had, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They were so focused on the outward product uh, and on doing the right thing on image that they neglected uh, the inward mess that existed within them. Um, and so actually, as they tried to produce fruit on their own, what emerged was not really fruit, but pride. What they were doing, they were doing um, to gain the approval of others or God. And so in a moralistic worldview, um, really only transactional relationships can exist as well. So what is distinct about the Christian faith? What is the alternative the Christian faith offers? Well, the Christian faith offers two things, proposes two things. One, the God of the Christian faith does not engage in transactional relationships, but covenantal relationships. What is a covenantal relationship? A covenantal relationship is a relationship in, when what? in which one person um, gives to another even when they can't give in return. A uh, covenantal relationship is where someone um, engages with another, with another person even when it's inconvenient or it costs something or it's uncomfortable. A covenantal relationship is based on commitment. And I wonder, did you know, that we will never be able to give anything to God to the means which he has given to us. When we rejected God, he gave his son for us, even unto death. Um, the God of the Christian faith, in his relating to people, 
is utterly and absolutely covenantal. Uh, In the words of Eugene Peterson, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us, but enters into our brokenness and saves us. Uh, Two, in the kingdom of God, one does not try to produce fruit but remain in control. They admit their inadequacy and relinquish control. Uh, distinct from the secular and moralistic worldview uh, where the person remains in control. See, God doesn't want your offcuts, your spare time, your extra. Uh, he asks for everything. He wants all of your life. Uh, he wants the depths of your heart In order to produce meaningful and sustained change, God needs access to what is in here. And it's because we have a God who engages in covenantal relationships that that is a safe thing to do. Uh, What God discovers inside here, um, he won't reject, he won't send you away, Um, he will begin to transform you from the inside out. Um, But first he needs the keys. God has to be in control. And this was the great discovery of the early church. They didn't reject God. They didn't try to earn God's favor. They simply handed over the keys to God um, for their hearts as they were, and God started to renovate their hearts from the inside out. And what beautiful fruit began to emerge. Uh, Dallas Willard says that on our own, we find that we must violate our conscience in order to survive. Jesus, by contrast, brings us into a world without fear. In his kingdom, it is safe to do and be good. Um, Just as I invite the the band up uh, to come and join me on stage, um, my prayer for us is that as we allow God's grace to grab a hold of us and work itself through us and in us, that we as a church would begin to bear fruit of generosity and uh, unity for each other. Uh, Let's pray together. Why don't you join me in prayer? Father, we just acknowledge that... uh, What we find in this passage for the early church is both challenging um, and also exhilarating. Uh, Challenging because, God, you ask for all of our lives. Exhilarating because you promise new life and there is fruit to be enjoyed. Uh, Father, as we um, continue into the week, would you help us to loosen Um, our grip, relinquish our grip on our hearts and our lives um, and be open to your Holy Spirit, your work within us. And uh, God, as we begin to surrender to you, we ask that you would um, present and reveal your character within us, that we would bear fruit to be a blessing to each other and to the city of Brisbane. Uh, We thank you for your goodness and we pray this. Amen. Uh, Just before we worship, I just want to make two invitations to you tonight. And that is that if you haven't given the keys of your heart to God, 
um, or it's something that you're finding difficult in your life, uh, there is absolutely an invitation to do that. Uh, Jesus said that I stand at the door of your heart and knock that anyone who would open the door and let me in, I will come in and eat with that person. Jesus desires to begin to transform your heart and mind. I just say, if that's you, um, we would love to help you do that. Chat to someone around you, come and talk to me. Would love to talk through that process with you. Uh, the other invitation that uh, exists for you tonight is that uh, I would just love to invite you to, um, wherever you are on the journey in life, to um, engage with and enjoy uh, the fruit of Jesus' death and resurrection. And I'd like to specifically just invite you to uh, join a life group, if you're not a part of one already. A, a group that meets during the week, does life together, reads scripture together, prays for each other, enjoys a meal together. Um, would love to invite you to um, enjoy um, that fruit uh, with us. Um, if that's you and you'd like to connect into a life group, um, find one of our welcome team, um, touch base with them. They'd love to connect you in. Come and find myself or Andrew or Hannah or anyone. We'd love for you to enjoy um, life groups with us. Uh, otherwise, I invite you to stand. Uh, let's uh, sing together. Let's praise the God who um, is a covenantal God, who cares for us, who loves us, and invites us to come to Him as we are. Let's sing together. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.